Husbands die every day, Dolores. Why? One is probably dying right now while you're sitting here, weeping. They die and leave their wives their money. An accident, Dolores, can be an unhappy woman's best friend. Welcome to Now Playing's review of Dolores Claiborne. Hey, Miss Claiborne. Kill anyone else today? No, just yet. When I change my mind, I know exactly where I'm going to start. Part of the Stephen King movie retrospective series. Hell's Bells. Hosted by Arnie. That is the last guy in the world you want to make an enemy out of. Stuart. Must have been out of my mind to come back here. And Jacob. A regular bunch of artists. This podcast contains detailed plot spoilers and harsh language. Cheese and crackers. Listener discretion is advised. I'm gonna sit down at this table, you and me. And we're gonna have us a drink. And when we're through, when I'm through, then you can run upstairs and take whichever one of those little pills makes you feel the best. Today, we're discussing Dolores Claiborne. Starring Kathy Bates, Jennifer Jason Lee, David Straitharen, Judy Parfit, John C. Riley, and Christopher Plummer. Directed by Taylor Hackford. This is the now playing co-host, who's always got to be a bitch, Arnie. And Stuart. And this is Mr. Grand High Poobah of Upper Butt Crack, Jacob. <laughs> All hail. And all hail Stephen King. We are at Stephen King film number 69. Nice. <laughs> One of our longest franchises. And I think we'll be discussing if 69ing went on in this movie. Yeah, I don't know if this is the one that should be number 69. <laughs> Inappropriate. <laughs> well, it might be fun to get back with a good one. That is the reputation of Dolores Claiborne, was that, you know, even though it didn't make a lot of money, and I don't think it has the, you know, you say Carrie, I think Sissy Spacek in a prom queen outfit covered in blood. You know, Christine, I think about that car. Dolores Claiborne, I don't know what that means. I didn't know what to expect. This movie was really billed as a sequel to Misery. That was, it's Kathy Bates again. What's she going to kill? That's definitely the sense I got when I watched the trailer because, yeah, I didn't know what this was. I'm like, Dolores Claiborne by Stephen King? Is this one of his experimental, like, Victorian Jane Austen style stories that... And so, yeah, I went and watched that trailer. I'm like, okay, so it's Misery 2. That, that's what they want me to think, at least. It, it's not, yeah, that, that full-on scary horror, but yeah, that melodrama. Yeah, dealing with horrific things, I guess. There's an eclipse again. We talked about one recently with an eclipse. Yeah, I talked about Gerald's Game, how... That's it. Gerald's Game and Dolores Claiborne came out near each other. They both deal with molestation, child abuse, incest, and they both have an eclipse. And if you read the books... There's some weird crossover that's pointless, but in the movies, they just both have an eclipse. And Dolores Claiborne, it's shocking to me because our listeners, they tend to be genre fans because that's what we primarily cover. You know, they're laughing that we have to go back in the cornfield for another Children of the Corn, or they're like, when are you going to do Snake Eyes? You know, that kind of thing. But there was a groundswell of, when are we reviewing Dolores Claiborne? And I'm like... There was? Yes. I've never even heard of this movie. I, I have no recollection of it. Trailer didn't seem familiar. So, but, but this is in demand by people. Yeah, and it shocked the hell out of me. And I'm like, I've never seen the movie. I read the book back in the day. But people are anxious for Dolores Claiborne? That just seemed interesting to me because this did feel like 
a chick flick drama that I didn't usually see people clamoring, hey, when are you doing 27 Dresses? When are you doing The Devil Wears Prada? Yeah, but, you know, Castle Rock Entertainment, that's part of it. That's why it got made, was that Rob Reiner had this pretty good relationship going with King. You know, Stand By Me, Misery, they produced Shawshank. They're really going to be the ones to make the respectable King movies. You know, the drama ones. The the ones that don't necessarily have to pander to the vampires and the haunted hotel. But we like the vampires <laughs> in the haunted hotels. But admittedly, you've named some of the best King adaptations that are out there. I mean, we get things like Graveyard Shift and Lawnmower Man. It's more what you think of with King, but it's not what you think of as good. Yeah, I went and read the novel because I wanted to know. And frankly, after Gerald's Game, which was one of the better Stephen King novels I had read, to know that this was the companion piece, I was very curious. And what I can say is, if you were one of those people that read Misery and hated it every time they jumped into the gothic part, watch out. This one is going to be really hard for you to get through because it is 300 pages of a first-person babble. So a novella for King. Well, yeah, it's short. (laughs) In that sense, it goes by pretty quick, but everything you read is Dolores Claiborne talking to unseen cops about, in the first paragraph, she's like, I didn't kill my employer, but I did kill my husband. And so, like, there's not even a lot of mystery to it. It's just like, let's give this woman the floor. A one-woman show in which this bitter washerwoman gets to comment on life in New England. It was dedicated to Stephen King's mom. Like, it feels like this Mother's Day present. It feels like he wanted to thank her for whatever sacrifices she might have made to give him an education. Did his mom kill his dad? The dad went out for smokes and never came back. Now, if he fell down a well... Okay, so he could have been murdered. We don't know. (laughs) Yeah, right. He wasn't around, and, you know, she had to do what she had to do. And, yeah, it's nice to see King stretch. It was nice for him to do something a little shorter, a little little bit outside of his box, but I didn't feel like it was a totally perfect fit. This isn't the one you'd go to if someone said, I'd never read any Stephen King. I'd be like, uh, read uh, Scarlet Letter or Vanity Fair or Jane Eyre before you, you go to this one. This one's about as good as a gothic novel as Eyes of the Dragon is as a fantasy novel. I reread it and I enjoyed it this time around, but I found it meandering, especially since, you know, it does delve into that literary irony where it's all told in flashback, but we know things the characters back then don't know. But I don't know if I just remembered the book very vividly from my first reading, or if it was just so telegraphed. But when I ended the book, I was like, if I had to give that a logline, what was that book about? And it is a woman living in poverty in New England. (laughs) It's not about killing the patriarchy? Because I I think it's pretty clear what this is about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Women have to do some really horrible things. They have to be a bitch if they're going to survive. And, you know, if you think they're cruel and an axe wielder like in the Misery novel, this is the one to give you a little bit more sympathy as to their psychopathy. You know, this is the one to try and humanize dangerous female characters. And... Kathy Bates was chosen intentionally because if you're playing a movie where 
this woman is suspected of murder off the bat, coming off of Misery a few years earlier, winning her Oscar for Misery, you immediately think of Kathy Bates in a Stephen King movie as dangerous. And Kathy Bates has said this is the single favorite role she's ever played. Hmm, okay, that seems wrong. I'll just go ahead and say this is <laughs> definitely not as good as Misery, but, you know, sometimes when so, when people tell you, oh, this is your best film, you want to pick the one that nobody saw, right? You want to pick the one that was like, no, but, but this one was special to me and you guys didn't prize it in the same way. Well, and she got to stretch her acting muscles a little more. You know, she likes acting theater. And so she wasn't just doing cock a doo um, She does that a lot here, actually. I mean, Mr. Grand High Pooba of Upper Butt Crack sounds like something she'd say in Misery. <laughs> yeah, I feel like she does a lot of shtick here, but not as uh, amusing or malicious, I suppose. The sad thing is, all of that's from the book. You know, it would be nice if some of that was ad-lib, but 100% of her wiseacre lines are in that book. Yeah, she makes sense in this. I don't know why you go to Taylor Hackford. You're not a fan of The Devil's Advocate? <laughs> well, that came later, and maybe you could say that, yes, he's in the genre there, but he was like, you know, up to this point, I was really thought of as a macho director. I'm like, an officer and a gentleman? Like Richard Gere grabbing Deborah Winger out of her job and <laughs> carrying her away to that Love Lift Us Up song. And crying, I have nowhere else to go. <laughs> I mean, he made Lionel Richie music videos. Macho? White Knights? Come on, what are you talking about? What's funny is I've seen most of his movies and I didn't know his name, if that tells you something. Yeah, no, I mean, he's had a long career and made films of, of lots of different stripes. This was his woman's picture. He specifically wanted to show a feminine side to counterpose the macho-ness of Officer and a Gentleman. And they went with a screenwriter that was up and coming, but now is considered really like one of the greats, uh, Tony Gilroy, who I guess has, you know, made his name for, on the Bourne films. He's, I think, been involved in all the scripts for that. And prior to this movie, had just made the ice skating film Cutting Edge, but uh, <laughs> also, you know, had done Michael Clayton and has been up for Oscars and is just a go-to scribe if you want to adapt difficult books. And I think that he, it was his idea, it was his rearranging that really took the first person perspective out and allowed, Stephen King was cool with the fact that they made so many changes. And half of this movie is original. Is that the stuff in the present or the flashbacks? Because there's a lot of both. <laughs> the present. Yeah, particularly what they do with the daughter, Selena, is radically different than anything you will hear about in the novel. That's what was confusing me, is reading the novel and coming back, I'm like, if you ask me what I think of Dolores Claiborne, I couldn't remember the trailer, I remembered the poster. And I'm like, Kathy Bates and Jennifer Jason Lee as mother and daughter. And reading the book, I'm like, well, Jennifer Jason Lee is not going to play 16. <laughs> so exactly what mother-daughter stuff happens in this with the adult daughter? And I think I had a pretty good idea, though, when I was approaching the movie. I'm like, I bet there's a lot of reminiscing between mother and daughter and reconciliation. In the book, it talks about how the daughter's a big shot New York reporter who drinks too much and is single and has these scars from her childhood. Here we get to actually see that and see that play out. And you said King was cool with it. 
He was cool with it until the movie was made, but I'll hold off on that. Oh, okay. My, my understanding from the commentary, which was recorded about four years after the movie came out, the director said that King seemed really pleased, had a, had a nice tack on material that, frankly, love the book or not, it would be really hard to tell it uh, as it was written. You would have to do things to dramatize, and, you know, otherwise it's just a one-woman show of Kathy Bates sitting in front of the cops and spilling her guts. See, before I thought about the Jennifer Jason Lee thing, I'm like, how would they do this? Because the book jumps all over the timeline. It gets a little bit linear, but you it's very weird in that, like, the first half of the book is Dolores with Vera, and then the second half of the book is Dolores with her husband, and then at the very end, it jumps back to Dolores and Vera again, and I'm like, would you just make this all linear? Would it work linear? Would it work if you knew about the husband before the whole Vera thing? It might, but... They went a different way with it, and yeah, I heard that the director said on the commentary, King said, quote, That's a great idea. Why didn't I think of that? Well, the director says King said that. King doesn't say King said that. <laughs> yeah, okay. I mean, I know it's really strange. I was really impressed that I'm like, wow, King was cool with somebody doing something so radical, a change, making so many changes. Okay, maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's just advertising for this movie. But in talking about the book and that perspective, keep in mind, he was trying to mirror Gerald's game, which was another first person where you get lost. The intention was to be, where are we in time? What's happening in this room? Are are we in the present? Have we gone to the past? And yes, what has been the trauma and effect of, of child abuse? Only this time, instead of thinking about what it's like on the daughter, we're thinking about what it's like on the mother. I really liked that mirroring device in the book form, but you just can't do that, particularly since they didn't make the Gerald's Game movie. Like, they can't play off of that stuff because nobody's trying to make that in 1995. But could you imagine if Kathy Bates just showed up for a moment in Gerald's game, what people would think? Well, that, that's what I was going to ask. It Like, does that solar eclipse create a time loop and the mother is the daughter? They're the same person? No, nothing nothing so supernatural. But, the, well, well, there is a <laughs> phantom-like moment in which Dolores Claiborne sees the abuse of the child in Gerald's game. While killing her husband. That seems needless. <laughs> yeah, it, it provides some kind of perspective on the dark nature of the soul, I suppose, if you want to get real literary about it. <laughs> you know, King was still newly sober at this point. Within a couple of years, I'll consider newly sober. I feel like you've been saying that a lot, but King does write a lot. So yeah, newly sober, could you could put out like 17 movies. Yes, he does. These books came out in 92. So again, like his heyday of drinking and all of that would have only been three years before. And then he had a period of not writing where he just revised the stand. So, you know, here I think he's stretching his writing muscles a little bit, but I do feel like he had some idea and wasn't quite sure how to tackle it and wrote two books simultaneously. I mean, he writes multiple books simultaneously. He really does. And he'll put one away and go to work on another if he gets stuck. And yeah. he'll work on one in the morning and work on one in the afternoon. I kind of feel like these were a couple of projects that went on at the same time and still leaning on his old, I'm Stephen King. I've got to have something supernatural. He decided to tie them together, but it, it literally goes nowhere. If you don't read both books, you don't even know what those scenes mean. And having read both books, I don't know what the benefit of those scenes are. 
well, other than to just more closely thematically draw the ties together so that we see, you know, the impact. I'm going to be crass. I think it's so you have to buy both books to understand. It's like those Pokemon games. They always have two colors you got to buy <laughs> if you want to get all of them. If you want to catch them all, you got to get both. And he'd do this again with Desperation of Regulators. The same kind of books. They all have the same characters, but one's by Richard Bachman and one's by Stephen King. He likes playing with this kind of literary stuff. And, and I like that too. But, you know, I'm, again, I'm not disparaging it, but you can't do it in a standalone movie. And more to the point, it wouldn't really help this movie. As you say, like if, if they had made Gerald's Game at the same time, they would have wanted to market that and sell that to a different audience than what this movie seems billed for. I did sit down and watch this one with my mom. I, th- I figured <laughs> that seems appropriate. After I read the book, I'm like, Mom, I know you don't like horror, but I think this one might be for you, and I want to know whether that King is playing uh, to your crowd. I think that this is definitely one for the, the Steel Magnolias fan. I can't wait to hear her recommend at the end. <laughs> and this movie, I, it didn't even really connect with that audience. They spent $13 million on the budget, shot in Nova Scotia. I think Kathy Bates was their big expense there, but it only like made $24. So even after video and all of that, I think the best you could say was it broke even. They now are calling it a sleeper hit on video or a cult favorite because it did find an audience... I don't know where. I didn't see this on TBS or TNT a lot. Yeah, maybe Lifetime. It wouldn't surprise me if they, they, you know, Oprah's channel. Definitely Lifetime. Something like that. But in theaters, they couldn't compete with Outbreak or uh, Major Pain. Do you remember that, Damon Wayans? Oh, I saw it, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I was at Major Pain and Outbreak. Not at this. Tommy Boy (laughs) came out the week after and really kicked the shit out of it. Threw it down the well. (laughs) I was there, too. Whatever I think of this movie, Tommy Boy is better. (laughs) Okay. Never seen it. But uh, anyway, why don't we get into it? Arnie, give him the plot. Jennifer Jason Lee is ambitious New York reporter Selena St. George, but Selena must return to her small-town roots in Little Tall Island, Maine, when Selena's mother is accused of murder. Her mother is Dolores Claiborne, played by Kathy Bates. Dolores was a caretaker for the island's rich, now-senile widow Vera Donovan. At the start of the film, Vera and Dolores struggle, and Vera falls down the stairs and dies. Police detective John Mackey, played by Christopher Plummer, is immediately convinced Dolores murdered Vera, a suspicion amplified when Vera's will reveals the old woman left Dolores over a million dollars. Detective Mackey has another reason for pursuing Dolores so hard. Eighteen years earlier, Dolores murdered her husband, Joe St. George, played by Jason Strathairn. Joe was abusive to Dolores and molesting their daughter, Selena. When Dolores finds out about the sexual abuse, she plots to kill her husband. She gets him angry and drunk and goads him into chasing her through their yard, right into an old well. Joe breaks through the rotted wood and dies. There wasn't enough evidence to convict Dolores, but Mackie was convinced she murdered Joe, and he won't let her get away with it twice. Selena, in present day, is an alcoholic like her father, and she's repressed the abuse and blamed her mother for her father's death. She returned to the island to do the bare minimum to try and get her mother a lawyer, but as she leaves the island, the repressed memory of abuse surfaces. Selena returns to the island and puts Mackie in his place, pointing out his real reason for prosecuting Dolores. Selena states Dolores and Vera were close friends and growing old together, and Vera fell down the stairs and asked Dolores to kill her due to her failing mental capacities. Dolores and Vera were all each other had, and that's why Vera left Dolores the money. 
Mackie gives up his prosecution, and Selena and Dolores have a repaired relationship as credits roll. But who inherits the China pigs? That's what I want to know. That's all I'd want out of the whole house. Give me those China pigs. That's the kind of stuff that people take to auction houses and think, oh my god, I'm inheriting so much by selling these China <laughs> pigs. And the auctioneer has to be like, yeah, this isn't worth anything. <laughs> Gotta take it on an Antique Roadshow first. Get it praised. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, but you know what? As we get started, I mentioned that the book first paragraph lets you know right away, at least how Dolores wants you to see it, that I didn't kill this woman. Very smartly, I think, they craft this opening so that I think if you didn't read the book, you would believe Dolores very much wanted to kill this woman. I didn't read the book, but I was suspicious because it goes so far out of its way to make it look like Dolores wants to kill her. And we see this woman fall down the stairs, and then Dolores runs into the kitchen. It's like that scene out of Pulp Fiction. Do I grab the samurai sword, the, the <laughs> steak knife, or the rolling pin? I'm like, okay, I, it definitely looks like she did it, but this is very weird, like how much it's going out of its way to make her look guilty. Yeah, I agree with Jacob. I didn't think, again, I just reread the book. I knew very well what I was in for, but I felt like if you were an active thinker during the scene, you'd know that it was trying to make her look guilty, but it doesn't make sense. Why would she grab the rolling pin instead of the knife? Why were they struggling at the top of the stairs? And the way the actress playing Vera says, please, Dolores, it doesn't sound frightened. It sounds like, please let me. And so... With all of that, I didn't think that it really set up Kathy Bates as the serial killer type. Yeah, as soon as the mailman like walks in and sees her holding that rolling pin, I'm like, okay, that's going to be the mystery. What really happened? It's not what it seems. Okay, let's see how it plays out. But yeah, I never fully bought in that she's guilty of murder here. Well, you guys are calling out the problem that I have. I still am going to argue, no, I think that they've hidden it well in the script. But this direction, like almost instantly when we have this opening shot, like drifting to this manor, if you're doing gothic, you want it to be full-on gothic. I mean, go find one of those movies. they got to have the right art direction, the right style. You want to feel like the mood. And here, it just looks like some pasty PBS thing, right? Like, this doesn't <laughs> look good. It's, like, overly directed. They have all of these ridiculous transitions where the rolling pin rolls over the camera and then it's a truck rolling into New York City. Like, oh, the director is so proud of all of that. He talks about... Oh, I know. ...how much work he put into each of those shots and how, you know, you watching it don't realize, but that shot took 18 people in four days. But is it the right shot for this kind of film? That, that's what this director needs to ask himself. Sure, you could do the shot, but should you? Yeah, no, I mean, think about movies like The Others or, you know, the recent Sofia Coppola beguiled movie. Like, something where it's just drenched in dread and atmosphere. You want to feel like this is a ghost story, not where the ghosts are going to, like, rip your flesh off, but that people are truly haunted by their actions. That's the point, that guilt. I know that's the point of the book. I'm going to say that's not the point of the movie. I'm going to say the point of the movie is kind of a feel-good woman film, a female empowerment feminist film that mothers and daughters can see and walk out feeling bonded, kind of like one of the many adaptations of Little Women I would throw this next to, and Little Women does not make me frightened. <laughs> no, but Little Women is not gothic. Okay, f feminist I would agree with, feel good I do not. Like, this is a melodrama, and there should be a, 
a certain, yeah, whether that's a gothic aesthetic or whatever, there's a certain way you shoot a melodrama, and this isn't it. Well, yeah, Weathering Heights starts with someone seeing a ghost on the moors. I mean, like, you can definitely still get there, Arnie, and have a feminist female empowerment for you and your mom kind of movie but like you still need to create this mood and 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 just want to point out it's just too ironic taylor hackford i mean you are you're just a hack everything that you try you're just not very good at the reason why you don't know his name is that despite his fingerprints being on movies you probably seen and like i'd probably recommend half his films i mean yeah you put devil's advocate in the book and i'm not afraid to say i like an officer and a gentleman against all odds and white knights i've never seen Ray, but that's one that people like. I just think that, like, in the end, it's too bad that we didn't get a better director. Uh, the script is there. The script cracked the difficulty of this book, but the mood and the sustained feelings that we want, that if it's not Stephen King horror, it should still be Stephen King dread. We should get that in this opening, and it does not really work. Yeah, speaking to that dread, I feel like this movie throughout like really lags to me. And if there's that sense of dread, I'd be like on the edge of my seat, like as that tension tightens and tightens as these scenes kind of linger on for maybe a bit, a little bit too long. But yeah, there's none of that dread. So I'm just kind of like, can we pick it up? I, I know we got some old people in this film, but uh, get them a walker or something. Let's move it along. I'm not going to be so complimentary of the script because there are places where I feel like the script lets this movie down. It takes a village to make a mediocre film, so I can't put it all on the hands of Hackford. Uh, well, okay, I'll be interested to have that dialogue with you as we go forward, but that's my problem here. Grab her for an opener, but doesn't really look right, is kind of my feeling, and that doesn't really go away when we jump to New York and we meet Selena. I guess Jennifer Jason Lee got this part because the director really liked her work in Shortcuts, where she played a sex phone operator who was always holding a baby and... And, you know, she just, Jennifer Jason Lee at this time was your goth girl. Like, if you wanted her to do something depraved or demented, you had a female character that was strung out on drugs or a hooker, Jennifer's the one you'd call first. Single white female was my go-to movie for her. No, Jennifer Jason Lee did things like Rush and Last Exit to Brooklyn. And again, just a lot of... Just probably movies you didn't see. They're just the indie films. She kind of avoided taking the Julia Roberts part. Yeah, Last Exit to Brooklyn. I know the book is the same guy who wrote Requiem for a Dream, if that gives you any kind of idea of the film. And, and they have a similar vibe. And her outcome is similarly uh, toxic. So, yes, I get why you would cast her. You want her to have the same torture that her mom does, even though she looks like a, a yuppie here with her berets and her, you know, high-end reporter job. And she's screwing her boss and seems to have it made. Seems to be so far removed from the provincial main coastal island that we had just experienced. And the boss is now screwing that other woman in the office who walks in and out, right? I mean, that's kind of the impression I got by the hand gestures and the looks those two shot each other. I even felt like they were conspiring against her to be like, who's going to give her the facts? This is going to be so embarrassing. <laughs> Your mom killed someone. I mean, I wouldn't go to the mall with my mom. I can't imagine how embarrassed I'd be if I was at my job and I got this facts. <laughs> I mean, at least you get the day off. <laughs> the weekend, apparently. Go up there and fix this, and then you're going to go to Arizona because there's some important story. Yeah, he just needs to get rid of her so he can sleep with his other girlfriend. Yeah, it's it's pretty clear. And it's Eric Bogosian, who is, again, 
a New York, you know, type. He's always in like small films. He's mostly known as a like a performance artist and and a spoken word actor who does stage work that's confessional and dark and he's just not up to good. To me, he's that guy from Scrubs and some others. Eric Bogosian. Yes. Wow. I just, you know, it's funny how people turn out. I would say <laughs> Eric Bogosian at this time is known as like Lou Reed kind of cool New York vibe. Yeah, if you see talk radio, it's based on a real thing, so he's not Howard Stern, but that kind of DJ. I mean, Uncut Gems, he was he was the bad guy, the bad brother-in-law in Uncut Gems, which came out recently. Yeah. Great actor. He had an edge. But it doesn't feel like he has an edge in this film. That That's the weird thing to me. It's, and Jennifer Jason Lee, like this scene in New York City, it kind of feels the same as the opening scene. I, I don't feel like there's a hard edge to it. And it's just a weird disconnect for me that we're in New York and it's journalist. And, and it's just kind of feels like a melodrama again from the Lifetime channel. The edge is that you can tell that he's cheating on her. That's I would say what's what's edgy about it is that she's under the impression that she's sleeping with the boss and getting all the cool assignments. Am I wrong in thinking they broke up? I thought they were like ex-lovers. Oh, I got the impression they were still together. She says, you're not fucking me, but you're fucking me. So I thought that she was saying that we broke up, but, and now you're not giving me the good assignments. Like, these could be more naturalistic if this felt like a real moment from a newsroom. But it doesn't. But I love the fairy ride. I love the idea. Again, these are gothic elements. I think of Rebecca or something. Just like this haunted house that I have to return to. This past that I ran away from and thought I never had to face. It's an interesting dynamic. And again, makes Selena way more interesting than she ever was in the book. She's hardly a character in the book, especially as an adult. She's not a character in the book. She's referenced in the book. So to see her play such a big part, it at least made the movie significantly different from the book where I had something interesting to take from it other than just how did they adapt and abridge all of Stephen King's 300 pages. And part of that is that it is not a one-woman show's talking to faceless cops where she even does things like can i have a glass of water thank you for my water you that's just how it's written we don't ever know the person went or anything and the other people are talking to her but we only hear her responses and here we get to see those cops and they're john c Riley and christopher Plummer. <laughs> john c Riley was a true surprise i didn't know he was acting in movies at this time he's a few years before boogie nights he looks really young and has a lot of hair and he's laying on the main accent pretty thick everyone's laying on that accent thick in this film <laughs> maybe people do talk like this i've never been to maine so i they do i mean you can understand them so that means it's a thin main accent <laughs> right. And what we're to understand is that Selena does not, whatever happened to her is so traumatic, she doesn't even remember. Yeah, that's going to stretch credibility for me. Like when I, when I find out she was like a teenager when the stuff happened to her or, or an older tween, like, I don't know if you could repress it that hard. I'm not a psychologist. Psychologist, let us know. But yeah, it stretches credibility. It was big in the mid 90s, though. Oh, I know. Repressed memories. Yeah. Roseanne had her repressed memories come out and then all of a sudden everybody was having repressed memories and all the stories 
were repressed memories of child abuse and molestation, and so this was very topical, if not very original, in 1995. Right, and again, there's several things that she doesn't remember. Right now, she doesn't remember Christopher Plummer, and maybe you wouldn't. Maybe you wouldn't remember the guy that was prosecuting your mom for murdering your dad, particularly when you kind of blamed your mom for doing it. And I think that that's what we'll find out. Christopher Plummer was the one to send the facts. He wants her here because he believes secretly Selena will help him win his case. And they haven't quite arrested Dolores Claiborne. They're, it's small town enough that they're going to let her go home for the weekend and we're going to spend the next couple days sort of going back and forth in time to learn her narrative. You can't arrest without evidence, so they're interviewing her, but... well. Evidence? I think everything they have is circumstantial. I don't think it's circumstantial if you're standing above someone with a rolling pin about to bring it down on their face. Uh, They got to prove she wasn't baking bread, rolling out the dough. Like, (laughs) I mean, there's still evidence they need to find. That's actually the excuse she uses in the book when she's asked, why is the rolling (laughs) pin on the stairs? Oh, I was making bread and then ran in. Oh, really? Why isn't there flour on it then? I know how to make bread, Dolores, you liar. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe I don't know enough about the law, but it seems to me like they're bending the rules when they have more than enough. You need better evidence than what they have to arrest them. Oh, okay. And certainly Christopher Plummer is going to spend the weekend pulling out her hair and running through the crime scene and doing whatever he can to make sure that he can prove that this woman did it, even though she didn't do it. Like, it seems like a flawed case right there because there's no evidence to suggest the rolling pin contacted with that woman. So they'd have to prove somehow that she pushed the woman down the stairs, which we think she might have. I mean, from that opening shot. And they want us to think that at least. The silhouettes as they were, it could have been murder. The one thing that any crime movie, crime show has to do is establish a motive. And it takes a while to establish Dolores' motive. And it comes in a little bit later, they discover she inherited, is it just like a little over a million dollars? Yeah, it's like 1.6, I think they say. That's not a motive. The motive is I worked for this bitch. And like every time I had to fucking do the sheets, five pins, don't use the dryer, even though I got a dryer right next to the washer. Six pins. Six pins. Don't use five. Oh, well, see, I would have been fired. And she was getting what? Paid like 40 bucks a day? Like slave wages, man. Yeah. $15 minimum wage. Let's go. Yeah, that that's really the motive. I hate you so much. I'm going to throw you down the stairs. I'm sure every hospice care worker has had a fleeting <laughs> thought like that at some point. Yeah, I thought that maybe Dolores, because I, I hadn't read the book, I didn't know where this story is going, but we do get this scene where they go back to Dolores's house, which I guess she hasn't been to in a long time because she's been living with Vera, but it's all, like, vandalized. I'm like, man, these kids got to her house very quickly. Like, she just murdered someone, and they're already tagging it and smashing the windows. But I guess that's from the husband dying? Like, she just has this bad reputation, and they destroyed her house because of that? Yeah, I think they did it very quickly. Really? Because she murdered her husband so long ago, I can't imagine that they're harassing her all the time. I think this is because she did it again. I mean, they yeah, they say she hasn't had a phone line for like three years. Yeah, I believe that she is pretty much a pariah in this small town community, and they believe that she got away with murder. She's a murdering bitch, and she lives up on the hill with that other bitch, and then no one ever sees them, you know? Like, they've kept to themselves. It's a lot... Like Arnie says, we do find out a lot of this more towards the end than the beginning. Be helpful to set that up here. 
But yes, when we see Kathy Bates here, I think she is to look guilty. I think she is maybe even to look unremorseful. And when she's saying things like, I didn't kill that woman, you might go, mm-hmm, I don't believe you. It seems like Jennifer Jason Lee, Selena, doesn't believe her, or at least is playing like not caring quite a bit. But she drove a long way for being so indifferent. Yeah, I think she's really mad at her mother for killing her father. And that's because she's repressed what her father did to her. She, like everyone else, has drawn the same conclusion. But we don't even really know about that yet. We have to have this, you know, it's the big gambit of this movie. They have this technique of non-chronological storytelling, which I gotta say, this movie is coming out on the heels of Pulp Fiction. They're acting like, look at us going back in time. Do you know what's going on? Yeah. No, they're just, they just do a bunch of flashbacks. They're not really messing with the chronology here. Just, you want a lot of flashbacks in a film? Watch this one. Yeah, I feel like it looks very futzy in comparison to what was going on with time and chronology, Run Lola Run, all the, all the films of the 90s. I just feel like this movie just wears its unhipness like a sack dress. You know, it's just like, <laughs> couldn't be less cool. I don't think that's what it's going for, though. This isn't trying to compete with Pulp Fiction. That The flashback narrative is keeping in time with the book itself. And I have to say it's obvious and overdone, but the fact that everything in modern day is in such cool tones, muted colors, blues, and then when you go back to the past, it's all warms and reds and rich colors, and then we're going to get to a scene that gets even more artificial. It's I kind of like it as a conceit. It immediately lets you know where you are, especially since Kathy Bates, you know, she's not going to age 20 years while they're making this movie. So she has to play it different. I think she does a very good job, aided by makeup, of playing older, although not nearly as old as she was in the book, and younger. But the colors, wardrobe, everything helps that as well. It does, but I guess my point is, I think that they did this to help build the mystery. Like, when we get to that porch and suddenly she looks out and it does turn into those pastel colors and we're in the 1970s and we see people searching the hilltops and then it cuts back. What does that mean? Like, I did read the book, so of course I already know what it means. Jacob, you could tell us. Are the things that it's teasing that hard to figure out? Oh, I've been dying to to say this because, yeah, when we get this moment where Selena's like, oh, did, did you kill someone else, mom? And then we're going to flash back to that scene where the husband is is going to smack Dolores in the back with like a log and, and call her a fat ass. I'm like, oh, okay, so he's abusive and he's going to end up molesting the daughter. I got it. Got it. I'm good. <laughs> That's exactly what I mean. Like in an era where we're, we're MTV generation, we know fast cutting, jumping around the timeline. You guys have already said it. You can do a lot more to hide the obviousness of Dolores' innocence in the opening. If you're more crafty at the editing, if you know what you're doing. This movie is futzy and, and murder she wrote. But don't you want the audience completely on Dolores' side? If you played her as possibly guilty, who is the audience identification character? Selena. But she's a she is a bitch. She's terrible. Well, I mean, both of them are troubled and traumatized. And so, again, in Gothic, like, think of Weathering Heights. When we meet all those characters, you're like, what is going on in this weird-ass house? What happened to make everyone so fucked up? And so that's really, it's not about liking anybody. It's about trying to understand what went so wrong here that this woman tried to bean her employer with a rolling pin and the daughter's got a sack full of pills. 
See, and that's where I think this movie isn't wanting to go. It's the target audience, I think, are women, Selena's age to Kathy Bates' age and above. I respect women more than this film does. Like, come on. Yeah, think of what you're saying here. I mean, you can make plenty of... I mean, I saw plenty of women's pictures in the 90s, and this would be on CBS. This is what I'm saying. This feels like a Stephen King TV movie. This doesn't feel theatrical enough. Some of the split diopter shots they do and things make this feel overly theatrical to me. No, I, I understand what you mean about Taylor Hackford's trying to be, uh, yeah, a cinematic genius with his transitions. I'm saying the quality of everything, including the performances, don't feel much better than a CBS Sunday night movie. Okay, there I'm going to disagree. I think Kathy Bates is really good in this film. Jennifer Jason Lee, not so much. But Kathy Bates, like I said, she plays young, she plays old, and she plays it well. I'm actually convinced at times that she's younger and older, the way she uses her body language, the way she adopts that main accent. Yeah, but you're not convinced that she's guilty. Well, that I blame that on directing and script. I don't blame that on Kathy Bates. No, that's her job. That is her job to tell us that she is guilty so that we believe later that she's innocent. That is absolutely on her. But why would the innocent person make us think she's guilty? I'm saying the actress should be playing these early scenes like a convicted killer. Which she's trying to do. And I think that's where the acting is falling flat is like, I could see the motions where she's trying to come off as defiant and just like, I, I did what I did and, and you can't do nothing about it. Like, but... I never feel that. Like, I, I hear the words. I hear her saying that stuff. I'm never convinced that that character's really, you know, going through that stuff, though. It all feels kind of just, you know, character sketchy. Like, none of it feels very natural. I don't get the sense that any of it feels like genuine human drama, uh, you know, the way that a good indie movie would. I mean, this is a melodrama, Stuart. I give it a little bit because it is a melodrama. It should feel a little bit over the top. I don't 100% like this vibe, but it's a melodrama, so I kind of give it some of it, the, the acting in that. I, I don't think it's going for that indie cred. And I want to be clear, I'm not saying Kathy Bates is bad in this. I'm saying she's fine. I'm not bowled over. First of all, I think that she kind of got lucky in 1990 without having a lot of competition. She probably shouldn't have won for that movie. It's kind of a weird movie to win an Oscar for. But I don't think that she gets to steal the spotlight. She's just not that much fun to watch in this movie. No, and maybe that's why she likes the role. Again, I'm thinking she's trying to pull something far more subtle here and far more maternal. You know, she's trying to be the protective mother bear here, even when Selena's an adult. She's still trying to be the mother bear. And yeah, we see Selena go out for supplies because yeah, the place looks like crap and she's unpacking and seeing the combat boots and the pills and we can see that both are concerned about the other but don't know how to say it and yeah, again, all of this flashback stuff and all, it just feels kind of like a generic setup. Again, why is this an R-rated movie in theaters in 1995? Uh, because they say the fuck word a lot. Okay. And that's the only reason. I mean, this thing is bloodless. But again, I think they don't want to be a horror movie to, because they'll turn away the audience they're going for. Again, gothic. I mean, you know, English patient. I mean, I could just name lots of... Yeah, there's not a lot of gore in the English patient. No, but it has a gothic mood. There is a doomed quality to the characters in that. You want it to have atmosphere. And this thing does not. I see tricks... 
but I don't see a director in control of tone. What I see is a movie that's overly long for what it is. There's a lot of scenes going back and forth where I think the movie's trying to give the actors space to breathe and make things feel more quote-unquote real and dramatic, but to me, I do find this dialogue to be a dull hammer at times, and there's so little story. I mean, King kept it at 300 pages. Most authors would probably have that as a short story in a magazine like Playboy when it used to publish fiction. So here, I think that they are drawing things out unnecessarily, and there's just a lot of Selena and Dolores that doesn't feel like it's advancing the relationship. Right. What we get, too, it should be said, is we get Joe eventually. And why David Strathairn, the nice milk toast actor from yeah. all the John Sayles <laughs> movies, is going to try and pretend that he's working class, main boat drunk. Like, all of this just feels like we're watching talented people try and do like a Saturday Night Live sketch. <laughs> Every single person in this movie looks the exact opposite of how I pictured them in the book. To me, Dolores was basically a Shelley Duvall type. Well, Shelley Duvall in The Shining or now? <laughs> Those are very different Shelley Duvalls. <laughs> I think in the early scenes in The Shining, and I think in the later scenes now. <laughs> okay, that makes sense. And I think of Joe as being far more brutish, you know? They talk about him drinking, they talk about him hitting his wife. Does he have a good laugh over his split pants? <laughs> that just seemed like a weird scene that had to be in the book, right? Why would you put that in here? It is. Okay. <laughs> and again, we don't see scenes in the book. There's not even chapter breaks. It's just all one, you know, long digression. Very James Joyce, sounds like. <laughs> yeah, we, we're getting the impression that Dolores had of the moment. And here, because it is a camera observing them, again, it's just kind of going to cliche. It starts to beg questions like, why doesn't the daughter know that the father is beating up mother with firewood? Why doesn't she know when mom comes back with the cream pitcher and the act? The firewood scene is my biggest problem in this whole movie because <laughs> when Joe picks up that firewood, it is so obviously lightweight foam. The way he swings it, the way it doesn't hit Kathy Bates, the way Kathy Bates doesn't move forward like something with weight impacted her. It, it, yeah, it's not shot great. <laughs> and I, that is the director because... Good directors can shoot that. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm glad you're coming to my side. This is not a well-directed movie. Well, I'm saying this is not a well-directed scene. Or a movie. Like, <laughs> if you can name a scene later that is well-directed, I would like to hear it. The scenes with Joe, I come around on Joe, but I agree. In this first scene with the split pants and the way he's playing it, he does look kind of like a Gomer Pyle reject that turned mean. Yeah, it just, it's, there's something about all of this that feels inauthentic. And it feels like actors trying to do low class, you know, like they're just like, oh yeah, I can, I know what this is. Inauthentic is the word that keeps coming up. These feel like people that don't know exactly how this should be. And this material is not rich enough that you can like go to it for informing your character. Like I just feel, yeah, it's kind of a bland scenario as you laid out, Jacob. We know within a few beats, a few jumps around in time, exactly how this is going to go. This drunk is going to keep abusing the family until he has to be killed. And there's no nuance to Joe. There's nuance to every other character, but Joe, the moment we see him, he's got 
hidden liquor he's pouring in his Coke cup. The book gave him more dimension. He was still an evil guy, but you could understand why Dolores would stay married to such a jerk for a while, because there were good moments here and there. But here, it is like, everything goes so fast, and because we aren't jumping around as much in time, immediately we see that Joe and Selena are close, and Selena isn't so close with her mother from the word go. Like, before anything has happened, she's wondering why her mother's lazy and won't get up to take the pot off while making raisin tapioca for her dad. Here, And that's the important part, is that we are to believe that Selena doesn't see what's going on. These broad, broad caricatures are not being observed by the single child in the house that has nothing but homework to distract her. I mean, she comes running down the stairs at one point during a fight. She knows what's going on, but... The movie tells us she doesn't? You really need Joe to have multi-dimension. We need to have a scene where Joe does something sweet that isn't characterized by vice and, you know, violence. Like, it just... A director that trusted the audience would let you have moments where we learn that the abusers can sometimes be kind. Yeah, and this movie isn't going to go there. It, the only relationship it is really focused on is between women. Dolores and Selena, Dolores and Vera... Men in this are evil caricatures. Yeah, women are bitches and men are evil. That's the thesis of this film. Yeah, I think they're all caricatures. But yeah, the idea is that women are the way that they are because they live in, I, I can't remember the exact phrase, but a depressingly masculine world. Yes, <laughs> I believe that's it. Yes. Yeah, and although John C. Riley's a nice guy ineffectual i mean i you know a nice guy might actually speak up on her behalf he's kind of like eh, i don't know what's going on but i don't know if the scene where dolores hits her husband with the pitcher really sells selena's point of view there we're seeing it all in close-ups of joe and dolores while selena's in the background she's the character we need to see and know what she sees exactly what did she think is going on? I'd never get that, but later on we're supposed to think this scene is what made her think that her mother killed her father. It's because she thought she walked in when that was about to happen and couldn't find any reason because her dad had had a nice night with tapioca. Why would you want to kill him after that? But the book sells that to me again here even though it's all Dolores' point of view, she's very empathic and able to relay her daughter's emotions. And here, I just see a girl come down, interrupt a fight, and go back upstairs. And maybe it's the little girl actress, but it doesn't play. It doesn't say anything to me. She was in her first movie. I, they, they they picked her based on her look and not because she had any experience. Oh, that always works out well. I'm not going to lay it on her. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, that sounds like casting's fault. Well, it, no, I'm, it, where it should be is that we should understand that this, you know, they had a sweet relationship. They should do a better job of disguising the obvious problem that's going on here. It's It would be hard for anyone to conclude anything but what's going on here if you are watching these little scenes. Yeah, I, I would think if you're trying to make us think 
Dolores is guilty that she killed her husband, and that's why she must have killed Vera too, that, yeah, make her look guilty by having this husband not be an abusive asshole, that he was nice to her, but then, you know, there's this molestation thing going on on the side, but, yeah, because it's so over the top with everything, it's just like, what am I supposed to take seriously? Like, I I don't think she's guilty because everything is yelling that she's not. Yeah, they should have sold us more that she was guilty. They could have had that husband be nice to her, but doing bad things on the side because that would have just made us, oh, look, everything's fine in this household. Why would she turn on him? It would have helped cover up the, the obvious plot points that are coming. Agreed. But the the problem is that these, you can say that this is about women's relationships, but they're reacting to the way men treat them. And Selena, you know, she's running off of town, calling her boss all the time, trying to say, hey, I can still do that Arizona story. At some point, that is when she is told that, nope, I've already found somebody else. And McKee, Christopher Plummer, is going to swoop in there right afterwards and be like, I know you think the same thing I do about your mother. And so you should help me <laughs> break her down and, and get the real story. And it's around this time that we're going to learn a lot more about Vera and Dolores's relationship. We're going to see the hiring, the, the little pay that she got. Vera was very demanding on her. They do Vera wrong in this movie. Yeah, I would have killed her. <laughs> she was perhaps my favorite character in there. You talk about gothic I would go great expectation. She was almost a Mrs. Haversham type character who would be horrible to her employees, but also eventually have somewhat of a nice side. And, you know, there's so many more stories about Vera, Vera's children, more information about Vera's husband. Here we just see Vera's husband ignoring her while practicing golf and the next thing we know he died in a car crash and we're gonna find out vera murdered him that is not justified the way this is set up in the film yes the idea that they're going to get to is that there's this secret agreement really between all women that because they're abused that they sometimes just get the right to be a bitch and vera is not dolores i cannot believe that you know the line is eventually going to be attributed to this privileged woman who decided to have her mechanic who also sounded like her lover fix the car of her husband so that it crashed after he visited her mistress and that's somehow the same thing as a drunk that is beating up on you and raping your daughter not the same thing not equivalent no No, there needed to be a lot more, and this is from King's book, there needed to be a lot more reason to murder your husband than his philandering. I know what this movie's about. It's going to state its thesis very clearly, multiple times using that same line, like sometimes being a bitch is all a woman has. I think we hear that like from the three main females in this. So uh, to me, it's kind of like, okay... I know what you're about. You want to make it look like this is what women have to do because they endure abuse. Fine. Make one for the women. I'm okay with that. Like, that—that that is was my smallest problem with this film. But, Jacob, because someone cheated on you does not give you the right to murder you. Yeah, I get that. Because someone beats you and rapes your child, yeah, okay, there's got to be an equivalency. I get that, Stuart. In real life, I do not equate the two. But in this film, this is the role of women in in this universe. Okay, I'll roll with that. That's fine. And again, Vera is the one that is teaching Dolores that, who ends up teaching this to her daughter. We think the line comes from Dolores, but in fact, it's Vera is the grandmaster here. That's, I, I agree. This movie, the problem with focus on the relationship between Selena and Dolores is that we don't really understand the relationship between Vera and Dolores. 
And that's supposed to be the crux of the story. We opened with that murder. So why are we not spending more time with Vera? Yeah, Well, we can't because of the way it's constructed. But I guess we finally get back to the house. That is a moment. But like the moment chooses to be like cleaning a bedpan and fighting over the fact that Christopher Plummer hasn't dumped it. I'm like, really? This is how you want to portray the drama here. And this is where we really get the idea that this must be a murder because Dolores has inherited all of this. She, McKee is cackling that he just found out from the lawyers eight years ago. It was drawn up in a will that when Vera goes, that Dolores gets it all. And it was a lot more money in the book. It was like 30 million in the book. Here, it's just a measly million? I'll take 1.6. Yeah. I, Even in 2021 currency, I'll take 1.6 million. Again, I'm not sure that that's the tack to take here. Oh, that's nothing. I wouldn't push nobody down for that. A million dollars isn't what it used to be, is I guess what I'm saying. No, it's not, but I'd push someone down the stairs for 1.6 million. <laughs> and again, this is to a woman that has worked for 40 cents an hour. Yeah, it's plenty. When her whole life savings was $3,000 and she gets upset about that in the 70s. Yeah, I think that a million dollars puts everything in perspective. But she didn't know about that, right? Or at least she's going to claim she didn't know that she was going to inherit that wealth. Right. And the way Kathy Bates plays it, you have no reason to disbelieve it. No. She seems genuine when she says she didn't know. Right. And this is all leading up to like, all right, tell me the real story. Selena has been running away and popping pills and trying not to process what's going on. But now that she knows that she has nowhere to go and she's a reporter after all. And I think she's kind of genuine touched that her mom saved all her articles. You know, it's mentioned that she had a big interview with Gene Harris and Richard Nixon, like famous liars. How old is Selena? I think she would have done it in the 80s. I mean, again, Selena, uh, 30 would be my guess. Okay, so she wasn't interviewing President Nixon. She was interviewing President Nixon during the era of Clinton before he died. Or Reagan, when Nixon was in seclusion and the Frost Nixon stuff. Like then he didn't talk about Watergate in 1975. It came much later. They're trying to say that she got some truth out of a reclusive, difficult person. And now her own mother could be described in the same way. But I don't know. I, you know, Dolores is pretty chatty here. Like they pop the cork on the whiskey and she pretty much lays it out that, yeah, I was just trying to help her take a shit. And she was screaming about a China pig. And before I knew it, she was trying to throw herself down the stairs and said, I don't like my smell. There is something kind of hilarious about it playing Happy Days Are Here Again with that woman (laughs) screaming she wants to be dead. I don't think they mean it for it to be camp, but sometimes this really does have that kind of quality. Makes me laugh. (laughs) Yeah, again, because Vera is done wrong here, even the motive. I mean, I didn't get from this movie the motive. You guys told me the motive is Vera is a bitch and horrible to work for, but there's so much more reason to kill Vera in the book. Vera literally tries to drown Dolores in literal shit. I mean, there's a lot more reason to give Dolores motive there, but also a lot more friendship shown. And here, Vera is just this character in the background that 
I don't know what I'm supposed to feel. The progression as I can see it is, up to this point, we thought she was a real bitch. Selena was mad at her mother for staying there and working there and putting herself in the situation where she would be accused of murder if something went wrong. She didn't know why she didn't run away because Selena is like, I run away from people that harm. And now she's learned that, yeah, that they were kind of friends or at least... Dolores did take a lot of care and gave a lot of love to this very difficult woman. And even in her hour of need, she was willing to possibly go up on murder charges to deliver a rolling pin euthanasia. I wonder if they ever try that. Like if that's like a way, like Dr. Kevorkian was like, (laughs) okay, no pills this time. We're going with rolling pin. These days you get to choose the electric chair of the firing squad. Can we just add rolling pin to the options for death row? (laughs) That seems very painful. That is cruel and unusual. It would take, I know he's made out of Marvel, but it would take a few whacks, I think. Yes, I want to make no uh, stereotypes about the genders, but I'm just saying probably a few more whacks from a woman. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Kathy Bates, depending the angle (laughs) and all of that, it should be Olympic sport, right? (laughs) It is a frail old woman, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it could it could be a lot of fun to see all of this transpire. I make jokes because it's an odd way of coming about the idea that we are now supposed to like Vera. And because we like Vera now, we can head into the waters of she's the one that has the right idea on how to handle bad men. Kill them. By murder. Yeah, when Dolores finds out what's going on in her home, she will turn to Vera and tell that sob story. And that's the part that Selena is not willing to listen. She'll go ahead and accept that her mom didn't kill her boss. I think she believes that. But she will not accept that her father was this abuser. And again, if we had had just a few scenes of him being loving, uh, that might have been easier to understand. Yeah, during this whole reveal, like we're going to get another whole scene about like life savings being stolen. And I I get it that the men didn't question the men because uh, women suck and men rule and, and feminism and, and the patriarchy is bad. Like, so we're going to keep making this point, but this movie needs to move and like this whole like subplot of the stolen life savings and, and men not asking other men questions. Like if this film was more streamlined, yeah, throw it in there, but it's dragging. They really should have cut the money thing, but I guess they do have to give a reason why Dolores would go to murder and not just fleeing. She could just discover the molestation. Yeah, but I mean, I I actually am going to argue that at this point, I feel like the calculations are right. I actually like all of this stuff. I turn to mom too and see, and like, this is where she's like, "Mm." you know, she's like, she's getting into it. And she really enjoyed the scene in the bank a lot. And we have a cameo here from the prison warden from Shawshank. Yeah, and we'll get Shawshank dropped. <laughs> like, they're going to lock her up in Shawshank. We've skipped over the fact that it's been oddly revealed why she knows. That, you know, Joe is drinking at the table again, and her daughter is making C's and D's and used to be on the honor roll, and wearing a cameo pendant from Joe's mother. Is that enough for you to put it together? Like, I feel like it's a big leap, like bigger than the leap she's going to make over that well. It is a leap. But it's a bigger leap the way this movie sells it to us is because we see Dolores and that cameo pendant. And the next thing you know, Dolores is saying, my husband is molesting my daughter to Vera. But then later on, we're going to get an interstitial flashback that shows the conversation went on. And yes, it is still a big leap to ask your daughter, is my husband touching you? But when you know your husband's a piece of shit and your daughter's acting very different, and then you see some jewelry, yeah, then... 
And he's not sleeping with you. I don't know. I don't need my daughter to get the piece of jewelry before I suspect something then. That was the weird thing. I'm like, I'm like, wait, why did this jewelry give it away? I was waiting for a flashback to explain that. At any rate, I fi- feel like we're finally at the issues at hand. It's mirroring the stuff in Gerald's game. And I feel like this movie has found its footing. It's taken a while. It's been about an hour of all of this not very convincing gloom and doom. But I feel like the next stretch when we get the eclipse and the the murder and all of that. I feel like this is the good stuff. I agree. This is the best part of the movie. Yeah, I do get into this film, and yeah, it's the second half. And I like that the way that they did the murder, they rebuilt this house on a soundstage so that they could blue screen everything and make it look completely artificial during the eclipse. And I think that's a good climax to the artistic douchebaggery that we've been seeing with the colors. It takes it to another level and makes it all pay off in a way that it no longer feels like douchebaggery. So if I'm hearing you correctly, you like the hokiness of these special effects. Yes. Okay. I kind of agree, actually. I'm I'm not calling that out because I think that's a ludicrous statement. I actually feel like there is something kind of nice about its artificiality. It's melodramatic, if you will. Like the fact that I can tell that they're not on that porch and is no longer on location. And yeah, the sky is changing and the the dark stars are coming out. It worked in Gerald's game and it, it works here. It sets the tone for murder. Like, okay, this is definitely when you're ready to kill someone, when you've called them out from stealing from you and they laugh and then you say you've raped our daughter and they go well she's the slut you know it's not my fault like yeah you go through with it right and she doesn't kill joe with the definitive blows that she does in the novel all she really does is let him fall yeah we'll get the thing from vera is like you gotta make him have an accident accidents are the way that women are set free and like well she basically got to murder her husband by cutting the brakes but this yeah he falls down a well maybe she leads him over in that direction but he falls down i i don't know i didn't really see anything she did to help contribute except not go get help Well, she knew that it was there. Now, in the book, he lives through the fall, and she keeps coming back and eventually bashes his head with a rock. Yeah, and that apparently was filmed. But I think they realize this movie is way too long as it is. It's over two hours. Women won't like it. No, no, no. It's not the length. It's so your mom wouldn't be put off by it. Yes. Yes. And maybe it's because if we actually saw that Kathy Bates did pick up a rock, and do the deed that we might have different feelings about her. I, I would have been into it. Yeah, I, it's the kind of dark spirit that I actually feel like is appropriate. It's where King excels, right? Characters that are willing to murder and, and the bending morality. Like, this is usually when his stuff is good. Why people would do that. Why this woman broke. I would like to see her break a little bit more rather than just watch him be unable to pull him. But it is a good moment. I, I don't want to be too harsh on this movie and not say that I feel like this is an effective scene. And Joe is really good in his performance here. When the actor plays it, realizing you set me up, you're not even trying to help me. You did this. I like the facial reaction and the vocal change. Yeah, I mean, he is a good actor. I mean, again, I just feel like in both, in all these cases, these people just don't feel like what they're playing. Like, I just don't buy... It's kind of like when I saw Glenn Close in Hillbilly Elegy. I'm like, yeah, you're a good actress, but this is very theatrical. This is you putting on a stereotype. Like, I have trouble complimenting any performance in it. They're all pretty problematic. But I'm not dissing the actors. But yeah, she is far less culpable here. But Selena's leaving now. 
now. She's leaving her mother like, I hooked up your phone. I'm sending you a lawyer. You're on your own. But once she gets on that boat and buys that crappy cup of dollar coffee, because you know it's a good cup of coffee for a dollar, she's going to have flashbacks to when her dad made her jack her off on the boat. Not only that, but her mom somehow figured out how to use that Japanese tape recorder and like gave her the cassette to like <laughs> to finish the story as well. So Selena left before she really understood what went down. And now we're expected to believe that that I mean, that would be some tape you'd want to hear. She's suddenly ready to recall repressed memories. And the motif of hands was something that they started. We saw that Dolores talked about, you can tell a person's life by the way their hands look. Now we see Joe's hands reaching there. I, I feel like if you're going to film a scene of a child being sexually exploited, it's always touchy and not fun to witness or probably make. This feels like they've done it well enough. If I'm going to compare and contrast... I think Gerald's game did it a little bit better with Henry Thomas than we get here with Joe, but, you know, that just felt like a more natural father-daughter courtship, I suppose, for lack of a better term, than this, where... Yeah, why take your daughter to a public place to do this? Like, that that was weird. Let's go to the ferry to, so I can molest you. I don't think he took her there. I think that she was working at the hotel in on the mainland, and she just rode the ferry. And it's not really explained what his job is, but I think he does go to the mainland to fix a boat. They're going to talk about him selling parts, and then later he's going to try to fix those parts, and they're not going to work. He seems pretty useless. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. Yes. The ferry is just the location we've seen, and it allows her to have a last-minute change of heart and turn around and ride into the climax Oof. and suddenly we're in we're in a John Grisham movie. A bad one? <laughs> no, they're all bad. There's a reason why we haven't done that retrospective. John Grisham likes to do these grandstanding things where, yes, people talk their way out of ridiculous charges and here Jennifer Jason Lee's speech is no worse than A Time to Kill. You picked the worst John Grisham, but it's, you know, the client, the firm are better than this. The Time to Kill is usually everyone's favorite John Grisham. But. I remember the speech you're talking about. And maybe you didn't think this because you guys had read the book. But yeah, during the speech, Selena's like, they loved each other. I'm like, oh, this is going to be like a sweet lesbian love story. Yes, like, that's what I was hinting at earlier. In this version, were they gay? <laughs> I didn't get that that was what she was going after. And certainly in the 90s, that would have been very provocative. Yeah, I don't think they do go there, but I don't. Maybe I'm watching it with those 2021 goggles on. I'm like, oh, we're, they were sweet lesbians that just loved each other, and she was taking care of her. That's nice. Yeah, that's kind of how I took it. Is when they said they loved each other, the way Jessica Jason Lee delivers those lines, the way she says it. <laughs> does not make me think like sisters. They took care of each other. I mean, however you want to call it. I just, I saw no evidence of them like getting in bed together or anything. No, it's totally how Jennifer Jason Lee delivers that line that made me think that. Yep. Yeah, I'm right with you, Jacob. <laughs> Because otherwise, I mean, I read the book. I knew that they were good friends who'd grown old together and they were all each other had because abandoned by their children, murdered husbands, what have you, they were what they had. And so they were an odd couple. Geriatric Thelma and Louise. But this entire speech by Jennifer Jason Lee, like we said, adult Selena isn't in the book. And Dolores Claiborne, because she does nothing but talk that whole book, talks her own story and gets herself out of it. Dolores had agency to get herself out of this murder rap. And here, Selena's going to come in and say all of these non-legal things and then say that, that 
Christopher Plummer has a grudge, and that's enough? But again, I saw this go down in so many courtroom thrillers of the 90s. This was how people like to see, and still do, I think. I feel like these will probably make a comeback. People like to see grandstanding. They like to see, guess who's coming to dinner? Like, when someone's got a hair up their ass and can give that kind of monologue, like, people are standing on their feet. Like, they they really get into it. I got out of it here. I was like, this... I was kind of into this movie the whole way through. I've complained about it because I felt the book was so much better, and that's the damning thing about reading the book before watching the movie. But the movie has had its flaws. But when Jennifer Jason Lee is given the full spotlight to shine, oof. Particularly since she's not a lawyer, she's a reporter. So I like I don't know why you would know the the, the legal wait, why isn't there a lawyer here? You keep talking about hiring a lawyer. Maybe she's a courtroom reporter, maybe that's what she covers. She said she's been in enough courtrooms covering them to know what legal yeah, there's, there's a big case in Arizona. That's why she wants to go to Phoenix, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I've, I've played enough pole position that I can win the Grand Prix. Come on. Like, this, is, <laughs> this is not what... We need professionals. And this woman has millions of dollars now. So hire one. Do not let your daughter do this. I don't think they'll give the inheritance to her until she's clear to the charges. Selena has clearly made the right point, though. They don't have shit. You know, she doesn't need to make this speech. In the end, Christopher Plummer is sitting there with nothing but malice because this is the one that got away. I've won 84 of my 85 trials, but this woman got away with murder and I want to pin her on a for a murder she didn't commit. And there's nothing in the evidence that would suggest she did. I think I already know the answer to this, but Christopher Plummer's character, I feel like he should have been lurking around a whole lot more. Like all of a sudden, it's like, oh, this is just a grudge because you thought she killed her husband. Like, was he friends with the husband? It, like, I felt like that could have been developed more. It's just kind of out of the blue all of a sudden is, here's the big speech moment where we're going to lay it all out. I wish we could have seen, like, a lot of the characters in this just do more. And I, I get the book is all from Dolores's viewpoint, but I, I wanted more Plummer and, and what he was going around doing. I agree. I think that we needed to see Christopher Plummer 18 years ago failing to prosecute yeah. to get the full depth of that grudge. There you go. More flashbacks, what the movie needs. <laughs> because Christopher Plummer was never in the past, then why is he so pissy now? Yeah, no, I, I felt like that could have helped. Yeah, but a lot of this is just metaphor, right? Like, he represents the men that don't understand the women's perspective. He just saw a crime committed. Again, the in the book... It's a woman confessing directly to him, and he will let her go after he hears her story. Here, I think it's wise. I don't think that if they pulled that shit that, like, Dolores would get to walk away. It's right to keep it a secret. This man is not going to change his opinion. But yes, he is meant to look as insensitive. And Selena now, who used to share his opinion of Dolores, has at least reached the idea that, I don't like that you killed my dad, but I know that you did it for me. Does she not like it? I thought by the end she was okay with the murder. She says she doesn't know how to feel about the crime. Yeah, but she says, I know you did it for me. I, I feel like she's at peace with it. Yeah, I mean, what does she want? more To be molested more? That's the option B. And there's bruises on her neck. There's some indication that Eric Bogosian was a bad boss and a bad lover. He's about to have an accident. Yeah, right. Who knows? I had first wondered if that was a hickey. Uh, yeah, I was wondering the same thing. <laughs> Jacob and I are watching the same movie. <laughs> <laughs> 
And it is Jennifer Jason Lee. She was probably off to do some kind of grungy sex act in some other indie film. But, you know, she's got to finish up in the CBS Angela Lansbury uh, special TV movie that this should have been. It's so neat. Mother and daughter reconciled. I remember all my pain and I'm okay with all my pain. I don't need therapy for years. I mean, I saw those prescription drugs. She's in therapy. I mean, if that's if you want to call that therapy, I mean, it's, she's seeing somebody. I mean, someone's writing those prescriptions. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, she's seeing a shrink. But are we seeing green arrows? Jacob Stewart, do you recommend Dolores Claiborne? Jacob. This one is one I kind of had to think about because I like the bones of this story. Like, I, I think there is a good story here. I think the way it's presented is not so good. And so that that was my conflict, like trying to, to work through this. What didn't I like? Like, okay, it's a genre, melodrama, not really my thing, but there are melodramas I love. I just don't feel like this one really gave itself to be that, that gothic melodrama we've been talking about. It, it's not shot that way. They, it just doesn't play out that way. It's not written that way. And so that was a problem because I, I, I'm like, wow, this is really melodramatic, but it doesn't have that sense of dread that, that I feel like in a lot of melodramas where just things go on and they kind of linger but I don't feel like it, it's slow paced. This one, I just feel slow paced. And, and that's because I'm not being totally pulled in. Like, go become a patron. Listen to our review of The Assassination of Jesse James. A very slow movie that pulls me in and, and gets me to pay attention. This one, not so much. And I think it is. <laughs> Stuart, you keep calling this a CBS TV movie. Mm-hmm. And the whole time watching it, I did get that vibe. Like, I'm like, this doesn't feel like a movie. This feels like something that would be on TV. And they happen to get Kathy Bates to be in it. So they, they got some good acting, though not as good as I would expect with Kathy Bates and Jennifer Jason Lee. Like that ended up being kind of disappointing. And so a better King film than most of the ones reviewed, like it's probably in my top third, but it's still going to get a week. Not recommend. I (laughs) I just think it's kind of just slow and and plods along and yeah, it never really finds a consistent tone to tell this story. And yeah, you got to rework the script. So I blame the director and the writer. There you go, Arnie. Stewart. It's not as great as I had been promised. And that's really the disappointment. It was like, the hype on this was, man, this is really one of his best. And if that were true, I would be screaming when Joe goes down the well. I'd be crying when Selena remembers the abuse. I would be cheering when Dolores walks away free. That ain't happening because this is ultimately kind of a drab TV melodrama that coasts along on mediocrity and stock situations. And yeah, even the great Kathy Bates, sorry, Hey, Kathy, I don't think that this is your best work. I think you'd, you'd try. I'm, I can clearly see you acting, but I just don't think that this character is going to move people the way that you might hope. And so my compliments are largely reserved for the adaptation. I do feel like they were shrewd in arranging the so-so material into something that was intriguing, or at least asked questions and built a mystery where the book just kind of laid it out in the first first two paragraphs and then let her run off at the mouth so you know i'm not crazy about either dolores claiborne the book dolores claiborne the movie they're both these kind of middling not really king's forte kind of works and so it kind of just lays there right there with shawshank and app pupil of like just one of those works that i imagine some people are going to like it mom liked it and so that was helpful to know that it definitely played at least the revenge part the second half of the movie really worked for her and so I guess 
You can't. You talk shit about this movie for two hours. <laughs> if you're 60 or older, recommend. <laughs> I called it a drab melodrama TV movie. <laughs> shit, I've given half of those from Stephen King. Like, like that's half of the ones I've recommended are those. I mean, like, that's where Stephen King is half the time. So I didn't really enjoy it. So I guess it's easy enough to say not recommend in the end. It's a corny child molestation story better than Children of the Corn, but still just a little too corny to get a green arrow. And when watching this, I was pretty middle of the road. I obviously liked the book better than you did, Stuart, while it's not one of my favorite kings. I enjoyed it. I ended up getting into it after a rough first 50 pages. But when it was over, it didn't leave much of an aftertaste, good or bad. And the movie... When watching it, I'm like, they did some interesting things by adding in the adult relationship subplot. They're obviously aiming this for a specific target audience, but it was fine is kind of how I came in. But then I listened to myself for the last 90 minutes discussing this movie, and I haven't been able to pay it many compliments. I think we all talked ourselves into a red arrow. I came into this thinking, oh, I'll probably give it a pass. Oh, no, I knew I was giving it a not recommend. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, just talking with you guys, I'm like, no, I can't. (laughs) That's where I'm at. I came in like weak recommend, and now I'm like, maybe not. I mean, I kind of liked some of the art direction that was going on. Oh, I hated the art direction. It was so bad. Like, was there anything good about this? Give it a recommend if you really liked something. I really liked the way it went from cool present to warm past to surreal murder eclipse time. I really liked that part of the art direction. I liked Kathy Bates' performance here. I like Christopher Plummer's performance here. I wish they were given more to do. Same with Vera. I I like the idea of Vera here. I wish she had more to do. But in the end, this is two hours, and yet I keep thinking of things they should have done and didn't, and not liking a lot of what they did do. There's just way too much Jennifer Jason Lee and Kathy Bates sharing the screen, but neither owning the screen, neither chewing up the screen. They're just there. And so, yeah, I gotta go weak, not recommend. Yeah, if you're not moved, then the melodrama hasn't worked. I mean, you need to have felt something. And I walk away feeling like I'd want to watch something else. I'd never go back to this. It's funny, because this is like one of the top ten kings if you look at various rating sites. And here we are, three reds. Yeah, if if any of our listeners are like, think this is a cult classic that like deserves to be recognized, let us know. Because I don't see why this is like, yeah, such an underdog hit for king fans. Because it's not Mangler 2. I mean, it doesn't have a washing machine going online and killing people. Might be better if it did. Several installments of Children of the Corn got green arrows and Dolores Claiborne didn't. I, again, I try to, you know, there's a lot of ways that Stephen King operates. I put this right there with Shawshank and App Pupil, which were two that I always, and, and this one, I just struggle with because I find the drama kind of overbaked and bland, but I recognize some people go with it. You know, it really works. Certainly Shawshank, some people call it their favorite film. Maybe they would see the the power of this woman's story and her hard luck case that I'm just not feeling. It's just because we're men. This movie would have been a lot better had it just had a Morgan Freeman-like narration from Kathy Bates throughout the whole movie. 
I think it would have been a lot better with, in, with a better director. I really think that, that the root of this problem is, while the script isn't perfect, they were able to make it cinematic and a better director, one that was comfortable in the genre and comfortable with, you know, getting the right tone uh, could have succeeded. I like this director's other works, but in this case, I'm inclined to agree. You said he came in to make this his chick flick because he'd made such masculine movies as Gregory Hines and Barishnikov dancing. Mm -hmm. But he was out of his depth. I think there is some miscasting going on here in a couple of cases like Joe, possibly even Selena. I mean, I know why you'd get Jennifer Jason Lee. And again, it could be the direction she was given. I just don't think she's good in this role, but I like Jennifer Jason Lee in a lot of things. But King sides with us. Okay. King, after this movie came out and had it had been out a while, King was doing an interview and they got around to Dolores Claiborne and he said that he also liked the color jump. And he said, this is the best color photography I've seen since the Godfather films, particularly Godfather 2, which is filmed like no other movie before it. Okay, Stephen King, get your garbage movie opinions out of here. Kubrick bad, best shot film since Godfather as far as color goes. Come on. Yeah, The Shining, yes. Yeah, I, I really did not like the photography in this movie. No. <laughs> but then he goes on to say, if there's anything wrong with Dolores Claiborne, it was the decision on the part of the filmmakers to tack on this artificial reconciliation between Dolores and her daughter. It's a very human desire, and it's understandable that producers would want to cater to it. When you go to the movies and put down your cash to see a film... I don't think it's out of line to ask for people up on the screen to behave a little bit better than they do in ordinary life. Certainly, we expect people to look a little bit better than in ordinary life. This urge to make things a little bit nicer than real life has a tendency to carry over into other aspects of the movie. I've always been interested in emotions. And, and uh, unfortunately, Dolores Claiborne is a film, like Kubrick's The Shining... <laughs> <laughs> that is nearly overwhelming because of its beautiful photography, but the story that surrounds the photography is flawed. The story he wrote, I want to add. No, he doesn't like the what they added to his story. Of course. I do wonder, though, like, would this work as an opera? They have, in over in San Francisco, about 10 years ago, they did, in, in English, I, I went and watched clips, I you know, didn't go buy a ticket in a time machine, but I, <laughs> I did know that they made this thing. It, it could, you know, I actually feel like, if you like opera, obviously the music is important here, having Dolores sing her pain away uh, might be the best way to sell the spirit of this story what otherwise would feel very ordinary uh and and melodramatic uh yeah it might work that's exactly what how opera works right yeah that that makes sense for an opera as long as i can't i don't understand what they're saying yeah it might be great <laughs> yeah but he said it was in english i'd like it in italian yeah it's still hard to understand that stuff that's true. Uh, yeah, when she's screaming about the ass crack, you, 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 you can almost not tell that it's about an ass crack. <laughs> I'm not kidding. But for now, we're going to put Stephen King back on the bookshelf, and we will get back to him sometime in the future. I believe, you know, when we do, let me just put it that way. Yes, there is a Children of the Corn prequel floating around and a Pet Cemetery prequel being talked about. Don't like that news that I just read. <laughs> but I do think that the next book that we're moving towards is another short story collection. You know, like Night Shift and all Children of the Corn, all those great things. So it's going to be great. 
Yeah, uh, you know, it's it, Nightmares and Dreamscapes. Never read a single one from it. I remember a scarecrow on the cover. Couldn't tell you another thing. But next week, we're doing Horror of a Different Stripe. <laughs> and, and I'm dreading it even more, frankly. <laughs> What is it with Conjuring movies where the trailer starts and I'm like, this looks good. And then Lorraine and Ed Warren come on screen and I'm like, fuck. Yeah, you realize it's a Conjuring movie and you're like, crap. Yeah, never mind, Dex. The devil is making us go and watch, yes, Conjuring 3. I just, it hasn't gone well. Uh, we haven't liked anything from this whole, like, three people, 12 movies, one Green Arrow. I still argue that the second Annabelle movie, the prequel one, was was okay. The sequel to the spinoff is kind of okay. That's the ringing endorsement for this series. It was it was decent. You know, it was it had it had a really great set. You're not helping your case. I mean, like it. I I meant what I said. It's a mild recommend. You know, I understand this is the last of the core Conjuring films. God knows there's enough Annabelles and nuns and La Llorona's out there that they can continue to spin off. Let's hope they end on a high note. You know, they can do it. No, no, no. I really <laughs> doubt. I'm just going to go ahead and say, watch us piss off more people next week because you guys still like this series, but we don't, and it will not change next Tuesday. No way. I'm just not going to play the game, Marty. We're not going to. Maybe this one, a high note? Shit. Did you watch that trailer? It's garbage. <laughs> we have not had good luck with new release movies lately, so. Mm -mm. No, but maybe we'll have better luck this Friday. If you can join us, David Fincher thriller number four. He's tackling serial killers again for the first time since seven, but now it's Zodiac. Would you call this a biopic, a biography, a documentary, a docudrama? It's based on a nonfiction book. Yeah, we're calling it a thriller because it's <laughs> David Fincher thrillers. But yeah, it's maybe not seven. I'll just go ahead and prepare you for that. I wish you could have told me that the first time I went to go see it. This is my first time going and seeing it, so thanks for the heads up. Oh, okay. <laughs> that might reset your expectations then. So you can find out how to hear our reviews of all those David Fincher films, plus the Dirty Harry films, the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo movies, and even White House Down and the Has Fallen movies. I forgot we did those. It feels like a long time ago. At nowplayingpodcast.com forward slash donate. And Jacob Stewart, thank you for joining me. And thanks for listening to Now Playing, an unhappy woman's best friend. Sometimes, Dolores, sometimes you have to be a high-riding bitch to survive. Sometimes being a bitch is all a woman has to hang on to. Thank you for listening to this episode of Now Playing. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You already said it was brilliant. I said it was wonderful. Oh, there's a difference. Now that you've heard the movie review, head to booksandnachos.com to hear Arnie's reviews and analysis of Stephen King's original novels. Saying a thing and doing it are two separate things. And also come back to nowplayingpodcast.com each week for another new movie review. Hey, uh, it's a regular party around here. 
In the NowPlayingPodcast.com archives, you can find many more reviews of Stephen King films, including Sometimes They Come Back, The Lawnmower Man, Carrie, Salem's Lot, The Shining, Children of the Corn, and more. Three square meals of bittery all summer long. In our archives are also reviews of film series such as The Avengers, Star Trek, A Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th, Scream, Transformers, and RoboCop. Find hundreds of movie review podcasts at nowplayingpodcast.com. It's the cornerstone of critical thinking, Mother, the ability to communicate with an agreed-upon vocabulary. Support from listeners like you help keep Now Playing operating. Well, don't look to me, Dolores. All my money's tied up in cash. You can find a link to donate using PayPal at the bottom of our website, nowplayingpodcast.com. And I'm setting up the whole campaign. You can also join the Now Playing Patron campaign through our Podbean site. Patrons of $10 or more get a new exclusive movie review every month, plus even more perks, including one where you can pick a movie for our hosts to review. Find the details on our website. Ain't that the point? Help them out, you buddies. Now Playing Podcast is produced by Arnie Carvalho. Let me tell you, it's consumed me. I have lived with this every day of my life. Every day. Associate produced by Jason. The depressingly masculine world we live in, Dolores. Now Playing is edited by Arnie. I knew what kind of hell it would be. Hell ain't something you get thrown into overnight. Nope. Real hell comes on you as slow and steady as a line of wet winter sheets. Now playing Credit Narration by Brock. Must be a lot of pressure. All them famous people. <laughs> Talking to them. The opinions expressed on Now Playing are those of the individual hosts and may not reflect the opinion of Venganza Media Incorporated. The sooner this girl starts telling the truth, the sooner we'll be done here. Venganza Media Incorporated is not affiliated with the motion pictures reviewed or otherwise referred to herein. Now you listen to me, Mr. Grand High Poobah of Upper Butt Crack. I'm just about half past give a shit with your fun and games. All movie clips and music included in this podcast are the intellectual property of the respective copyright holders. They are included here for the purpose of review and no infringement is intended. Then how come you look like the devil just reached in and grabbed them little raisins you call balls? Now Playing Podcast is an exclusive trademark of Vinganza Media Incorporated and may not be used without the expressed written permission of Vinganza Media Incorporated. All rights reserved. I'm sorry, but I think it's for the best if you got yourself some legal representation. Now Playing is a Vinganza Media production, copyright 2021. And no part of this show may be reproduced, repurposed, or redistributed without the written permission of Venganza Media Incorporated. Dude, I'm gonna work on camera. Where are you going? What are you doing?
18 years earlier, Dolores murdered her husband, Joe St. George, played by Jason Sta- played by Jason Statham. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> Jason Statham? I mean, he would have been what? <laughs> he would fly back out of that well so fast and give her a karate chop. <laughs> Take that, bitch. <laughs> Oh, 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 little China pig. (laughs) I think Gerald's game did it a little bit better with C. Thomas, not C. Thomas Howell. Henry Thomas. Henry. Who played Elliot? I... (laughs) 